sisters. Welcome back to She Is Becoming. If it's your first time listening, we are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You can find our episodes on all the major podcast platforms and don't forget to subscribe so that you can get notifications when we post a new episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast to catch our IG lives, giveaways, and we always pray every Sunday. We have prayer time. You don't want to miss it. Well, I am your co-host Delaney and I am here in the studio with my co-host Bev. How you doing? I'm great, but I have a question for you before yes. we begin here and it's it's our signature question and it's this. How has God been speaking to you lately? Um, God has been speaking a lot to me lately. I feel like just with the busyness and just with everything that I have going on in my life um, to really just carve out time for him and to start like replacing things um, like for me, like watching Netflix, being on Instagram with um, things that are going to fill my soul more. So I've just been trying to cut back on like all of those things and like reading books about who he is, like spending more time in prayer and just like really practical things so that I'm just like when I'm so busy, like this is a place where I can like recharge, find rest, find what I need to get through that day. Um, so I feel like that's really been the main thing that God has been saying to me this week and I've been doing it and so far it's going really well. So maybe you guys can pray and help me do that. Yeah, that's, (laughs) that's powerful because we have to take, you know, God has to help us to take control of some of those things that sneak into our lives. Sometimes they get kind of addicting and you kind of like have to Mm -hmm. check yourself like, man, I'm spending, you know, okay. On your iPhone, like every Sunday when it tells you how long you've been on your phone every day like on average that week yeah okay that's must be the holy ghost or something because every time it comes on i'm like wow i spent way too much on my phone yeah this week that's good to monitor yourself good for you delaney good for you for sure well today we are going to have a little bit of a different format we are going to continue with our christians you should know segment where we dive deep into the life and work of an influential christian in church history um and so bev is going to teach about diedrich bonhoeffer and our hope is that you would be inspired and encouraged by this mega influential Christian. Um, I actually have been reading one of his books. What is it called? The Cost of Discipleship. So it was really funny that when you said, like, I want to do him, I was like, perfect. I have been reading his books. This is amazing. But can you just start us off by just introducing who Dietrich Bonhoeffer even is? Yeah, well, we're going to kind of tackle this from different periods of his life. We're going to talk about the early Bonhoeffer, his background, and then we're going to talk about the middle years where he was so productive And then we'll talk about those final years that are rather dramatic. So let's start with his early life. He was born in 1906 into an aristocratic family in Germany. His mother, like a wealthy family, right? Yes, and well-known and um, an important family in in the in the Germany. His mother was from a nationally known family, and his father was a prominent neurologist, and also he was a professor of psychiatry at the University of Berlin. So. Very, you know, uh, a a wonderful heritage here he started out with. He was just one of eight children. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. Dietrich was a brilliant pianist at an early age. So the family thought, oh, this is going to be his lifelong career, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong. However, Dietrich took the family really by surprise when at 14, he told them he wanted to be a pastor and a theologian. At 14? At 14. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, God was at work here, obviously. Yeah. Now, the family was not real happy with that declaration. 
I found the most interesting description about him as I was studying and reading about him. I'm going to read it to you as a quote. And this is about Dietrich. All right. While he was formal when it came to dress and manners, he was also passionate about his faith, plain American Negro spirituals. This was written some years ago on his phonograph, <laughs> uh, playing the piano, hiking in the mountains. At the same time, he was a extrovert who liked throwing parties, lifting a glass of wine, and smoking on a good cigarette. Do not follow his example. <laughs> Even as a young part-time university lecturer, he was recognized for his towering intellect and would over time, and especially after his death, become one of the most respected theologians, ethicists, and moral philosophers of all time. I love that. So that kind of gives you a little bit of the flavor of this uh, man that was so amazing. Um, he got his undergraduate degree from the University of Berlin in 1927. Then he went off to Spain, where he pursued what he felt he was called to, uh, to lead as a pastor. And in Spain, he assisted at a German church. And from here, Bonhoeffer then went to New York, where he finished seminary. Dietrich had a life-changing experience in New York that year. He went to several churches, but he found them dull, and void of the gospel. Mm. Then he was invited to experience a black church. He found something there so special. He heard the gospel preached with fervor. He saw worship like he had never seen it before, and he heard music that spoke to his soul. He didn't just observe that church, however, though. He served and taught in the church. He was not a spectator. He came back to Germany a changed man and with recordings of black spirituals that he loved so much. So upon returning then, he took a post at the Berlin University as a lecturer. Even at this early age, he began to write, and he was even published. So Delaney, what stands out to you so far with this early life of well, Dietrich? Man, I mean, he sounds like an amazing person, but I think just the way that other... Um, cultures practice Christianity at this time and how um, I think sometimes we can think that we are like the only culture that has experienced Christianity in a way and it's just not true and so I love the impact that the black church had on him and um, man just the beauty of you know how he was able to serve alongside them and I feel like that's just really a picture of what the body of Christ should be about yeah. like that's just really beautiful honestly yeah. I love that and I think it's really um, all these experiences, these early experiences, especially that church, was a way to prepare him for what was ahead. Yeah. You know, God uses all of our experiences like that to prepare us and to grow us in him. So what a great early life he had. Um, as far as how I look at this early pastoral life, it gives me a real picture of how the church was really deceived by Hitler mm. and how the church in their fear and deception opened more doors for Hitler, that sick tyrant, to lead his people down a road of destruction. Wow. So two things were prevalent in the church at this time. First, there was a universalist view of God's love and grace. A universalist view is just means that hey, you're okay, I'm okay, God died for us, mm -hmm. and we're all going to heaven. Yeah. Happy, happy, yeah. right? The teaching of repentance, of dying to self, living for Christ, were not being perpetuated in the church. Also, there was then, so there's that universalist view, then there's this 
featured legalism view that they had as well. Just behave in a certain way and all will be well between you and God. When the gospel is gutted like these two ways gut the gospel, the church is going to lose its power to transform lives. It is only the costly sacrifice of Christ because of his grace that saves all of us sinners that we are to repent and turn to faith in Christ. We, like Christ, are to give our lives to him in return. So you see very little of this laying down their lives, being willing to serve and to speak for the gospel in the midst of their suffering under Hitler's rule. So Delaney, question for you. How do you see these weaknesses in our churches today, and what can we do about it? I think it's all really similar. I mean, I don't think there's anything new under the sun, honestly. But I think this goes to show you that when you aren't interpreting and believing doctrine correctly, like you are easily susceptible to being deceived. And so legalism is ultimately like you depending on your own merit, behavior, work. So yourself ultimately for salvation, it's a correction of behavior and morality instead of like your heart before God. Um, And then, like you said, universalism is similar because you're really relying on your own notion of salvation, repentance, and ultimately believing that God is not holy. And you're depending on your own thoughts because universalism is so antithetical to scripture. Um, And so churches veer from the gospel towards legalism and universalism, like out of a dependence on self instead of depending on God and his word. And I think diverging from the gospel is a symptom of a deeper disease, which is our distrust and disbelief in God. And we don't believe that Christ's blood covers our sins, so we try to merit it. We don't believe that we are all sinners, so we refuse to repent, which leads us to universalism. And and all of this is idolatry. And the beauty of studying Bonhoeffer, and especially these times in his life, is that We're learning from a man who has experienced this. Like he went through these things. And so I think we see all of this in the church today. And I think like the biggest way that we can um, just not engage in that is a by sticking to the gospel, sticking to what the word says, and then by being obedient to them. Yeah, and you know, what what happens today is, and why these things creep into the church and the church becomes powerless is we start listening to the news or, mm-hmm. or other voices, yeah. and we don't keep our finger on the text. Right. And that really leads to uh, despair in God's people, and it, you get off center from that gospel. So thanks for those good words, Delaney. I, let, let's pick up his life now in the middle years. Um, returning to Berlin after his time in New York in 1931 then, Bonhoeffer was a teacher of systematic theology at the University of Berlin. And then from the beginning of the Nazi regime, Bonhoeffer prost, uh, protested, especially with its anti-Semitism. Mm. He also served in London during this period for 18 months, two different very small German congregations there. He became the spokesperson for the confessing church. The stance of the Nazi was anyone who had ethnic Jewish grandparents was a Jew, even if they had converted to Christianity. It was all about bloodlines. Mm. And that, when you start categorizing people like that, look what this led to. Also, during these mid-years of his ministry, he was asked to start a seminary of the Confessing Church. And it's often referred to as a place that was established in a rather clandestine uh, fashion. He was, you know, kind of did it on the on the sly behind mm. uh, the authorities. Yeah. 
Here was an amazing time in his life, though. He really experiences the church as a community. All of these seminary students, they were living together in almost like a, um, a, a you know, a, that a way that the monks would live in community like that. So this was a very cloistered uh, seminary, and it was during the very dark days of Germany. And but because they were in a rural area, they were really kind of left alone. Here he taught on prayer, confession, discipline and living with each other in community. What an important thing to know how to do. Today we can read two of his classics that it was written during that time at the seminary, and running the seminary, really. Um, And he wrote there, he wrote Life Together, and then The Cost of Discipleship. He was also promoting the ecumenical movement, even though there was this massive movement of German nationalism. But he was trying to get the churches to come together to show strength against what was happening Mm. in Germany. Bonhoeffer becomes more political after 1938. His brother-in-law was involved in a group seeking to overthrow Hitler and even to assassinate him. Whoa. Yeah. It was a very dangerous thing to associate with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, At one point, he fled to New York for a short time, but he wrote this to another theologian. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share in the trials of this time with my people. Wow. So he quickly returns to Germany Mm -hmm. after only about two weeks in New York. Mm. Dietrich was really bold in confronting the church in Germany for their turning over the to the Nazi regime. And its indifference, really, at times, was uh, really was very upsetting to him. And he tried to call the church out for this. He was quoted to have said this. He said, the church was silent when it should have cried out because of the blood of the innocent was crying aloud to heaven. She is guilty of the deaths of the weakest and most defenseless brothers of Jesus Christ. He personally, Delaney, personally helped Jews leave Germany and go into Switzerland for safety. Bonhoeffer was also able to get in a position of Germany's military intelligence agency where he worked for the resistance. So he was an undercover spy for the resistance with Hitler. Yeah. Yeah, think about that. He also flew to Sweden to meet with the officials and try to broker a negotiation for peace Uh, in the war, but it failed because the Allies had an unconditional surrender policy at this time. At this time, however, though, documents were found linking Bonhoeffer with the conspiracy. Delaney, how were you impressed with his courage here? Yeah, I love that he didn't back down. And I also love, I love his boldness just in his life, but I also like the way that he boldly called out the church. I think the church just in general often can be silent on things that it doesn't need to be silent on. And I, I'm not saying that we need to replace the gospel or anything. Obviously we don't believe that, but the gospel is the answer. The gospel is the answer. And then we also can fight just it like injustice from a gospel point of view. Like I think the gospel gives you, or I think the Bible just gives you a lot of clear examples on how to do that. And I love that he was not only bold in the way that he fought against everything that Hitler was trying to do, but he was bold in the way that he talked to the church. 
Like he was like, this isn't right. And he called it out. And I love that. Yeah, he did. He did. And I'm sure he was not real popular with a lot of the churches and a lot of Christians. I mean, it's really hard when your own people kind of start lifting eyebrows and and, uh, pushing you aside. Well, let's go into his final years now. Uh, Dietrich was arrested when it was uncovered that he was part of this uh, conspiracy. And he was charged with treason on July 20th, 1944. And it was true he was involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. His charges were the result of his assisting Jews to escape Germany. Wow. He landed in Tegel Prison, where he will spend two years. From here, he was able to do a lot of writing where he reflected on this phrase, and this phrase is powerful, Christ for today. So Mm. think about that. Christ for today. What's today in your life, listeners? Christ for for today. What does that mean? His le- his writings that he wrote during this prison time were later published as letters and papers from prison. Did you know, sadly, that Dietrich was engaged at the time of his imprisonment and would never marry? That was really sad. Isn't that sad? Yeah. The letters between him and his fiancée, Ruth Alice von Bismarck, were published as love letters from cell 92. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, age 39, was killed by hanging in 1945. Ready for this? One month before Germany surrendered. Wow. Right before. Right before. One month. Oh, my goodness. There is an account that is so powerful that one camp doctor um, observed Bonhoeffer as he suffered during those last moments of his life. Here's what he wrote that he observed. The prisoners were taken from their cells, and the verdict of court-martial court were read out to them. Through the half-open half door in one room of the huts, I saw Professor and Pastor Bonhoeffer being taken off his prison guard, and then he kneeled on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout, so certain God heard his prayer. At the place of execution... He again said a prayer and then climbed the steps of the gallows, brave and composed. His death came seconds later. In the almost 50 years that I've worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Even to death. Even unto death. Wow. Dietrich's parents had suffered the death of their second son in World War I, so some years ago, which left his mother incapacitated for a year. And then some two decades later, two more of her sons would be lost in World War II. So Think all, about that. They all were suffering. Yes, Man. yes. Uh, these parents had opposed Hitler from the beginning and knew that their resistance brought great risks to them all. These parents heard of their youngest son's death for Dietrich, from someone who said that there would be a broadcast of a memorial service in London for a pastor. So they tuned in, and they learned that it was their son, Dietrich. Wow. That's how they learned? That's how they learned. Gives me chills. Oh, my goodness. Bonhoeffer's last words were said to be this. This is the end for me, the beginning of life. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. It's the end, he says. This is the end for me the beginning of life Mm. because he knew he was secure in God's hand and that he was going to be with Christ forever. You know, Dietrich had an amazing ministry, but it was only for 16 short years. Mm. I think a fitting way to finish this podcast is to give some of his quotes 
that he's really most known for. So Delaney, why don't you read a couple and then I'll read a couple before we close. Yeah, absolutely. This one is from The Cost of Discipleship, which I'm reading right now and which I love. Um, He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Right. (laughs) Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Love. I love that quote. I I remember reading that quote and just being like, it's unbelievable. Another um, super amazing quote from him, which are from the letters and papers from prison. He says, the great masquerade of evil has played havoc with all our ethical concepts. For evil to appear disguised as light, charity, historical necessity, or social justice is quite bewildering to anyone brought up on our traditional ethical concepts. While for the Christian who bases his life on the Bible, it merely confirms the fundamental wickedness of evil. That, that's convicting right there. Yeah. That's powerful. And then another quote from the letters from prison. Um, he says, there remains an experience of uncomparable, incomparable value. We have for once learned to see the great events of our world history from below, from the perspectives of outcasts, the suspects, the maltreated, in short, from the perspective of those who suffer. Mere waiting and looking on is not christian behavior christians are called to compassion into action wow he really went right for it didn't he he didn't mince words or sugarcoat anything here's a couple more that i i really loved as well i can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom i pray no matter how much trouble he causes me and that was from life together his, his writing on that If my sinfulness appears to me to be of in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my own sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Mm. Yikes. Never really thought about that. And then another quote of his was, we are not to simply bandage the wombs of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself, to go right to the heart of it. I love that quote. So um, I want to ask you, Delaney, what do you feel is the challenge for us from his life? I feel like the quote that, I mean, so many of those quotes stuck out to me, but the one about the church specifically that I'll just read it again. It says, the church was silent when it should have cried out because of the blood of the innocent was crying aloud to heaven. She is guilty of the deaths of the weakest and the most defenseless brothers of Jesus Christ. And so I feel like the challenge here, you know, is, is really this. I mean, I love how Dietrich was an advocate for the marginalized, the suffering, the oppressed, and he stood up for the defenseless and he encouraged the church to do the same. And and he stood up against the Nazi regime wow. and he also spoke boldly to the church and he did it all with the love and compassion of Christ. And so things are different now, but things in some ways are often really the same. And so our challenge to you is this, like, how are you defending the defenseless? There are many marginalized groups in our country, people in poverty, minorities, just to name two. So what are you doing about it? We don't want to look back on our life and realize that we never acted out the Christian doctrine that, that we believe. And so 
we really just want to encourage you in this. Like there are people around you that we need to come alongside of that we need to stand up for. I mean, really, I feel like you need to look in yourself. And if you're not doing this, be like, God, why am I not? Is it something in me that I don't see importance to this? Or maybe I don't love people well. Like what is it in me that I'm not living my life this way? Because I feel like true followers and and believers in Christ, we love like this. We love boldly. We stand up for those who need, who need it. And, um, yeah, we speak boldly to each other. And so that would really be our challenge. We do. And I would say too, is get your doctrine from the Bible and not from the news. Yeah. Um, I think that we can be uh, deceived just as some of these people in the churches in Germany were deceived by um, sounding, you know, things that sound okay and yet have a, a, a meaning that is not what it says. And so I think that there really needs to be a caution. Keep your finger on the text in the Bible as you watch the news and have discernment. I feel like the church lost their discernment as to what was right and what was wrong. And listening to like the sisters and brothers that are in your circle, like their experiences, you know, don't take everything from the news of like, this is truth. Like there are people around you that you can talk to that maybe have different experiences than you. And so I feel like all of that, but always like you have to know what the Bible says. Absolutely. There's our grounding. That's what, I mean, what God, God has said and what, how he feels is what matters. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, I'm so, going to, I'm going to pray for us, but thanks, Delaney. Um, God, thank you that um, just for the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and all of these works of his that were preserved um, and that we can just benefit from. Um, I pray that you would keep all of us just rooted and grounded in your word and in prayer. I pray that you would really just cultivate discernment in us that we can know when it's your, your spirit's voice speaking to us and when it's not. Um, I do pray for, you know, marginalized people groups in our country. Um, I pray that the church would be someone who comes alongside and who loves well and who defends and not some, but, and not the church that was like this in Germany. I pray that we would not be like that. And so I pray that you would just cultivate in all of us, just this love for others and just this boldness, um, to, to not only speak, but to act Lord. So we pray all of this in your name. Amen. All right, sisters. Well, it was great to be with you. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.